good everybody welcome back to diamond talk and today we have some some pretty exciting stuff going on man i think we you know not a lot of talks too early but we might be looking at uh the future face of baseball man nick rob how you guys doing we're doing excellent man definitely uh ready to get into another episode here of diamond talk and yeah like you mentioned we got some good stuff to dive into today I'm doing good, man. Out here in the Central Coast, there's some fires around, messing up the air, but uh, ready to talk some baseball, and I'm definitely looking forward to the topics this week. Yo, before we get to the topics, uh, we have to mention it for uh, for our listeners, just because it's too funny not to. So before we before we started recording on here, you know, uh, Rob, Nick, and I, we usually just, you know, bullshit a little bit, and, you know, I- I'll, let, I'll let Rob do it. So, so what are the names that we were talking about again? Oh yeah, so we were just talking about the uh, the guys that play for the Marlins, the siblings that play for the Marlins, where one of the guys is named Victor Mesa Jr. and the other guy, who's his brother, is named Victor Victor Mesa. So those are definitely some uh, interesting names out there for you. Very very uh, non creative family members they have there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have Victor Mesa Mesa, and then what Mesa Victor Jr. Like we could just we could you know they're they're still we can get to maybe like ten more siblings and just mix it around a little bit. Yeah, I, I, that, that reminds me. I, I had a what's it called. I also had a cousins in high school that were the same age, and their names were both of their names were literally Filiberto Gonzalo. It was the most confusing thing ever. So we literally just called them. We literally just called them Flaco and Vampiro because one was just skinny as hell and the other had vampire teeth. So oh man. I don't know what, what parents are doing with these names, but figure it out, guys. So anyway, <laughs> this this episode is not about the naming of your children. If that is what you're looking for, that is uh, another podcast. Uh, but this podcast does have some juniors going on. And, you know, I, I'm going to let Nick start us off because what we've been seeing this week and, and this entire 2020 season has been nothing short but amazing coming out of San Diego and Fernando Tatis Jr. So, man, Nick, man, what do you got for us? Man, the last week from him has been insane. The whole year has been insane. And he is, even I mean, even if you're not jumping the gun, he's putting his name and his play out there to be the best in the game. And just his attitude, his swag and everything, he's trying to be the face of, the, of all of MLB, not just the Padres. And, like, right now, year to date, he's number three in at-bats. He's leading the league in runs with 23, tied for third in hits, leading the league in home runs with 11, RBIs with 28. Uh, stolen bases, he's tied for first as well, just in case you need some speed. He's got six of those. He's third in slugging with 710. That, that number starts with a seven. That doesn't happen too often, if ever. OPS is a measly 1.094 for sixth in the league and number one in total bases. And if you guys like the stat cast stuff, let's go there. He's number four in barrels for plate appearance with 13.4%. Uh, number of times hitting a ball over 95 miles an hour, he's number one with 45 times. And I believe second place is 33. Hard hit percentage, number one. Exit velocity, 96.4 miles an hour, number one. He's just killing no matter how you look at the game. Uh, whether you like the Padres or not, and judging by attendance, you don't. It's just a it's a great place to be right now, especially in San Diego, who deserves a player that is this good again, like a Tony Gwynn, 
he's not the same player, but just the stature and how good he looked looking like he's going to be. He's at the Tony Wynn level right now. I mean, he, these are Hall of Fame type numbers to start a career. And he's got the swag to bring some fame down there and keep some fans down there for a while. So I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. I will go on a limb and say that this year is the closest that the Padres have been to being number one as far as fan attendance because everyone's is supposed to be zero. So, so good for them. We'll give them, we'll give them that. Tied for first, uh, bro. Tied for first. There we go. But look, I think our mission here and, and part, of, part of our mission here is to do something that you know, Rob Manfred has, you know, obviously said that he's not going to do ever, and that's promote the stars of the game, man. So, look, our goal today is just kind of put this dude on the, the map because you watch Fernando Tatis Jr., it is exciting. You know, one of one of our other podcasts, the Ocean Ape Show, great podcast, great listen, you know, just one of the funner podcasts you're going to listen to out there in, in, in any form. And, you know, not going not gonna to go crazy about it, they do pop culture stuff. They do a lot of, you know, what's the mainstream, what's, you know, even, even when it comes to sports, you know, what's the, the big topics? And they're, and I don't want to ruin anything if you're going to uh, look at it, but their podcast cover for today was Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, if you look at, if you just look at straight up the demographics of what that podcast makes up, it is amazing that they have a baseball player, a 21-year-old baseball player on the cover and talking about this dude and all the great things he's doing and you know, I think it's our job as baseball fans, our job as a podcast and people who, who listen and enjoy baseball to get, get this dude's name out there because you know what? He's an interesting character. His father played Major League Baseball. He has an unlimited amount of swag. Like this dude, you, you can tell him apart from the other guys on the field. I think he's a, the kind of guy that also wants to be out there in that way. So, look, what we're going to do is going to do as much as possible to get this dude's name out there and, and to get him in the mainstream because he deserves it. And he has a kind of talent to, uh, you know, make that kind of thing possible. So, you know, after I, uh, you know, was on uh, Tatis Jr., yo, Rob, what do you think about everything that he's doing right now? Yeah, it, it's amazing stuff what he's doing right now. I think I think too many of us aren't really surprised because – Fernando Tatis Jr. kind of gets lumped in together with the rest of these young guys that we all talk about. You know, your Juan Soto's, your Acuna Juniors of the world, your Glaber Torres, your Rafael Devers. Like he's in that group of of young, upcoming, you know, star superstars, guys that are about to take over this game. And you also have to remember this performance that he's putting up right now, even in this shortened season is what you should expect from him. I completely expect Fernando Tatis Jr. as his career proceeds to be, you know, a 300 level hitter or at least close to that, you know, 290 something around there. I completely expect them to be a 30, 40 home run guy, 100 plus RBIs. Like he, the dude has no fear. I mean, he could potentially also lead the lead the league in stolen bases some years. He can lead the league in runs. I mean, this dude can do it all and I think that for for Padres fans, you know, they have to be excited. Like Nick mentioned, you're you're finally getting that other player. I think a lot of um or at least I would hope that a lot of Pir- uh, Padres fans were smart enough to to realize, you know, the contract sometimes uh gives you a uh, a sense of what you're getting as in like they gave Manny Machado a very big deal 
And I feel like a lot of people viewed Manny Machado as, yes, we finally got this A player. No, your A player is Fernando Tatis Jr. You got Manny Machado to essentially be a complimentary piece to him. Everyone knows that this franchise has to build around Fernando Tatis Jr. And he's definitely showing that he's a superstar in this league. I mean, we've had conversations the last couple episodes, you know, talking about uh, if you're if a guy's the best player in the league compared to what it means to be, you know, the face of the league and things like that. Fernando Tastis Jr. is the guy that checks off both boxes. He can very well down the line be the best player in the game of baseball while at the same time being the face of the sport. That That is very much in the realm of, of possibility for him. And the only other thing I would say about Fernando Tastis Jr. right now is I feel so sorry for uh, Gibson having to watch all these highlights of him because as he does say this is a former you know White Sox legend Fernando Tatis Jr and Fernando Tatis Jr is better than any single player that the White Sox have on their roster right now and they have some great talent like we all expect you know Luis Robert to be something Eloy Jimenez to be something Yuan Moncada to be something I'm just saying that Fernando Tatis Jr is going to be better than whatever that something is that they, those guys turn into and it sucks for a team like the White Sox, but it's great for a team like San Diego. By the way, you guys might have heard that uh, Gibson reference. Gibson is one of our uh, main characters on the SAW website. Uh, he is our, uh, I guess, he is our group trapper. If you're the feds listening right now, I did not say that. I mean, Gibson is a outstanding member of the community who enjoys his Chicago sports. Uh, but you're absolutely right. You got to be sick that you gave up that amount of talent for the ghost of James Shields. Let's be honest. James Shields had a great career before, before he went to the White Sox and we shouldn't discount that. But Hey, let's move on. Let's move on to some other great things happening about them around the MLB. And this one uh, might be a little rough for uh, Rob to talk about, but the Rays have come out and they've been a really good team this year. And not that anyone should be surprised. We've talked about how good the roster is, but you know, like they have this, this entire decade, it feels like they're giving the Yankees fits. They are currently tied with the Yankees heading into late in that game. And I think they've beaten them, what, four times out of six this year or four times out of five with this being the sixth game? Yeah. So, something like that. Uh, you know, you have you have the A's out there in Oakland doing big things. But, yo, Rob, start us off, man. What are some teams that you're looking at right now that, you know, aren't the, the Yankees or, or the Dodgers, those, those top teams that we usually talk about? Yeah, so you definitely just just went ahead and mentioned two uh, good ones. I, I think the Rays are definitely a team to keep an eye on. They're definitely keeping things close with the Yankees. Like you said, they've taken four out of five from them. They're currently playing, uh, as of right now, game six. It's currently tied two to two. But yeah, they're right there with them. And you know, you you and I being Yankee fans, we, we've seen the Yankees struggle with the Rays for many, many years now. But like like I told you before, I think this is this is the best iteration of of any raised team that's been put together and i know you know guys like me i know i know nick uh did it a bit as well we we pretty much critiqued them for the trades that they did this offseason and I, I still am going to critique them because i still don't necessarily agree with those trades i mean if you look at the tommy fam and hunter renfro trade yo hunter renfro is no lie, potentially next season getting like designated for assignment. Like he, he, because at this point he's just fitting the role of, if you guys remember like a Chris Carter, you know, like the type of guy who can hit you 40 home runs, but when he's not hitting a home run, 
he's probably one of the worst hitters in the league. So that's not looking like a like a too great of a trade for Tampa Bay. They are getting some hitting from uh, Margot in the trade that they got uh, in the trade that they did with San Diego for Emilio Pagan. So that's working out for them a little bit. But you know, even with some of their guys not performing up to their standards, like an Austin Meadows, they've been able to stay right there with the Yankees. And right now they're only a game a game and a half behind. Remember, postseason has expanded this year, so they're, they're pretty safely in there as of as of now. As and as long as they keep playing the way that they've been playing. And you look at another team like the Athletics. You know what? I just think the Athletics are finally showing people that they have what it takes to be the best team in this division. I think that I picked I picked Houston to still be at the top of this division simply because I didn't expect that their hitters would struggle as much as they have been. Um, can't say that you know that annoys me at all. I think it's great. Like keep struggling. I'm I'm not a fan of Houston, but yeah, the Athletics are showing that they're that they could be the best team in this division. And and to be honest, I think they're better built than Houston top to bottom. I think they have a lot of guys coming out of that farm system that can be pretty solid pieces for them. And I and I like their team all around. They have. Um, they don't, you know, you can look at a Matt Chapman if you want to consider a guy for for kind of like that superstar title. But the the majority of their team is just really good baseball players put together. Um, so I'm definitely a fan of them. And then I'll go ahead and I'll mention two quick other ones since we were on the topic of Fernando Tatis Jr. I think the Padres is a team to keep an eye on. They're thir- they're 13 and 12 right now. Currently, they're in the postseason. If the post if if the season ended today, the Padres would be in the postseason. And I asked people earlier if they thought that the Padres could be led to the postseason with Tatis Jr. and Machado. And I don't think a lot of people thought that they would be. But with the way Tatis Jr. has been playing, I mean, Manny Machado has been playing that great. So Tatis Jr. has definitely had to go full Batman mode. But if the Padres want a shot at this postseason, and they can definitely surprise people if they do make the postseason, Manny Machado is going to have to start acting like like an elite Robin to Tatis Jr.'s Batman. And then I think over in Baltimore, that's another good team this year. They're right behind the Yankees in Tampa Bay. Um, they're twelve and twelve right now, but they're getting good production from their team as a whole. A lot of a lot of scrappy guys, a lot of good young players, and you know another team that's missing a guy like Trey Mancini, who who you could argue is one of, if not their best hitter. And I think they're a sneaky contender, man. I think Baltimore, if you know, they're one of those teams that we've kind of like talked about those streaks. I think Baltimore goes on a hot streak. They're definitely a sneaky contender, especially in a shortened season. All right, man, there you have it. Those, those are some pretty good teams, man. Nick, who are you looking at? Uh, all those teams, since he just took four. <laughs> uh, definitely those teams. The Baltimore was one I was going to bring up because <clears throat> I've been watching them a little bit the last this last week. And they just have fun out there. They're just a bunch of young kids that nobody knows. There's no pressure. There's no expectations. I mean, their starting staff is as crap as ever, but they're fifth in MLB for average, and they're fifth in OPS. And when you're talking about offenses like the Padres, like the White Sox, like the Yankees, like the Rays, like the A's, for a team in Baltimore that had literally zero expectations, if they would have gone winless this year, I don't know how many people would have been surprised. And they're they're right there battling with their offense. And it seems like the way they play the game, and I've watched a few of their interviews, Rio Rios, Ruiz is so funny, great personality. It just seems like the team is kind of carefree and they whatever happens, happens. And when you get a team, I mean, they're major league talent, whether you, they're the low end or the high end, they're still you know one of like 900 guys that can do it at a professional level and have a contract to do it. So they're still good ball players. And when they have no worries, that's a team to look out for, for sure. Another team, just to bring up quickly, that I, I didn't really do a whole lot of research on, but the Cleveland Indians, 
Um, we've talked about them often because they've been around for so long, but you really just got to think of how small market that is. That city had LeBron James, and we still don't talk about the Cavs very often, and he was the, maybe the greatest ever in basketball. So that city has always just been a little defunct. And for a team to be in a city that not only isn't very good as far as like just attending games, I don't want to talk about their fans as far as how much they love their teams, but just the way they attend Cleveland Indian games with the success they've had over the years. And the city is dominated by football. So for a team to have kind of the, the odds stacked against them in a sense, like there's just really no chance of them keeping Francisco Lindor to compete year in and year out. And then this year we all knew their pitching staff was a strength, but they just went so – they're going so far above with Plesak, um, Clevenger, you know, all the guys that are there just absolutely dealing, not even, you know, with Shane Bieber up there as number one. It's crazy how good they're doing and just riding on those arms. I hope – the one thing to focus on with them is with what happened with Plesak and Clevenger and their attitude when they came back in the clubhouse – Apparently, there's some guys on the team that are saying, like, trade me or I quit for this year if these guys are still here. So I hope they can get through that. If they can, it'll show a lot, I think. But the Indians is definitely a team to watch out because their offense is terrible. It's bottom third of the league right now. And the capabilities that you have when you have a Santana, a Lindor, and a Ramirez plus the other guys, that that's a good 2-3-4 in pretty much any lineup. And if they're all slumping at the same time, if they can come around with that pitching staff, that's going to be a really dangerous team. There you have it, man. Yeah, those are some pretty good teams to look at. Uh, you know, uh, the, as far as the Orioles go, I, you mentioned how bad that starting pitching is. I don't think that they'll really make a they really make a push. You know, long term playoff wise, even this year, as as you know, as few as games as we have, but it's they're fun to watch, man. They're just out there having a good time, and that's leading to success for them. Padres, look, they're they've turned into must watch TV. Just because of uh, Tatis Jr., man, like he is the definition right now of turn the screen on, screen on, watch him do something. By the way, talk about also Manny Machado. He's the first third baseman to make an out out there in right field. And if you watch the highlight uh, video of that, it's absolutely ridiculous because you have to ask yourself where the hell did Manny Machado come from? Because he does catch it as deep in right field as he possibly can. Like he's probably as deep as the, the, the as deep as the outfielder would get on a play like that. So, just some crazy stuff with the, with the shift on that. And yeah, you guys you guys brought up some some pretty good teams. Some kind of uh, not breaking news, but Tom Brenneman, who he's been I want to say he's been on on a video game. Maybe it was ESPN Two K back way back when, and he's a pretty famous uh, newscaster. I mean, announcer. Like if you hear his voice, you you'd recognize it. Man, this dude, this idiot just uh, went on air and was pulled off for saying, or he was called, I guess, hot mic'd. He, he was mentioning, he was talking about some city, and he mentioned it as one of the fag capitals of the world. Obviously, the mics picked that up. That kind of went on air, and he got pulled off air right after that. So just kind of something to look, look after. This happened like about an hour ago. Absolutely stupid. You just can't do that in a professional setting, and I think it's, it's at the point where people need to know that now. But let's not dwell on that. Let's let's get to our main topic here because there's a lot of uh, old timey stuff happening with baseball that kind of still rears his ugly head in the game today. And you know, let's just go ahead and call this the Fernando Tatis Jr. episode because the reason this was even brought up was because uh, Mr. Tatis Jr. 
hit a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch in almost the eighth inning when his team was up 7-0. And after that action, people were very angry. Uh, the Rangers coach, he said, hey, look, you know, we didn't want, we don't, we didn't think he's going to swing there. We don't, that doesn't sit right with us. He even got in trouble with his head coach. They're saying they don't play the game that way, even though according, there's some mixed, there's some mixed bag, whether or not he had to take sign there. But regardless, I'm going I'm to kick it to you first, Rob. Look, what's your, what's your take on these unwritten rules? And we heard it a lot last year too, with Tim Anderson and his bat flipping and the way he plays the game. Where do you think the game's at right now? And, What's your overall take on it? All right, so this is this is everybody better buckle in because this is going to be a long one, and I know, I know Nick is definitely going to get in on this uh, as well. But wait yeah. my turn. I think that uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. getting criticized for essentially being a very great baseball player is a complete joke. I think that this whole unwritten rules thing is also a complete joke. Now, don't get me wrong. There are all, all three of us on this podcast are, are former baseball players. I, w- I would say that you guys are, you know, you guys did it for a long. I only played up until I, I was 19, but I think that there, there are certain rules that you can kind of understand a little bit. Like, for example, so, I, so I'll give the people out there an example because I was looking at some of the quote unquote un, unwritten rules because they actually have them written down on the internet if you want to go look them up. But there, there are some that I, essentially was was taught you know coming up and but to me they're more just like common sense so one is don't walk on the pitcher's mound um I was a former pitcher for some of the years that I played I know Nick was a former pitcher Uh, he can talk a little bit on on how he feels um about it um when he when he wants to chime in but yeah don't walk on the pitcher's mound don't walk in front of the catcher and don't bunt during a no hitter those are three rules that I kind of picked out where it's like common sense things to me. I know the the I've heard some people say different things about the bunting during a no hitter. I personally just don't like it because I feel like, you know, just go up there and like earn your hit, you know, like just 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 swing. If the pitcher's dealing, he's dealing, you know. But um yeah, the Fernando Tatis situation is is just ridiculous to me. I think that in a sport with so many unwritten baseball rules, it's just nonsense. I mean, the Look, I looked it up. The book of uh, there's an there's an actual book called the Book of Unwritten Baseball Rules. It shows 30 rules. It was written in 1986. First of all, the three ball, the three zero count rule isn't even one of the 30 that was listed on there. Not saying that there haven't been more that it, you know that have been added in recent years, but it wasn't even one of those 30 that was in that book from like 30 plus years ago. And I think one of the other problems that we have to address here is baseball as a sport is just caught in the middle of an identity crisis and it's so ridiculous i mean they go out there every day they preach that they want change they preach that they want innovation there's an aspiration to become a more modern game yet you also want to oh you want to do all that but you also want to stick to the status quo you want all your players to follow unwritten rules like this is the 1950s i mean come on and then you fail in all of this, because you actually suppress your players more than you actually do to try to build up their personalities. So like, what, like, what is the point? You're like contradicting yourself. You're really contradicting yourself. And like, we've seen it. Tatis Jr. received a wide amount of support from everyone across the baseball world. Sure. There are people that are not going to like it, but we've had, you know, we had our Trevor Bowers. We had our Amir Garrett. We've had a lot more players. And to be honest with you, I can't even say that this is necessarily an old versus young thing because 
Johnny Bench was on his side. Reggie Jackson was on his side. I mean, these are, you know, Reggie Jackson, Johnny Bench, these are some of the best players we've seen in the game. And even they're saying that this is what the game needs. Like, it shouldn't be any more clearer than that. Like, and, you know, you were talking about his manager a little bit earlier because I did see the comments that he had um, uh, made originally too. Because some people were essentially saying that it didn't come off as, as uh, uh, I believe it's Jace Tingler, right? He's the he's the manager for San Diego. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Some people said that his comments didn't come off like he was supporting uh, Tatis, but there, like I, I picked up a little bit of some of the comments that he said. One of the comments that he said, which stood out to me, that I personally like with this whole unwritten rules thing is. Um, he said he was talking about the the Rangers and he said they're going to try to kick our ass and we're trying to kick their ass. That's the bottom line. We can't sit here and worry about people's feelings. And that's that's simply what it should be. We shouldn't be sitting here worrying about people's feelings. Come on, we are past this. Pitchers getting mad about players staring at home runs, or everything. This is old. We are past this. Deal with it. Deal with it. You threw a bad pitch. They took it out the park. Look, your mentality should be, okay, next time that dude comes up, I'm going to strike him out. I am going to get him out. If anything, if, if as a former pitcher, if someone hits a home run on you, sure, it can piss you off, but it should piss you off to do better. You threw a bad pitch. You threw a bad pitch. It got hit. It's out the park. Deal with it. Okay. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier. We have to remember, first of all, who Fernando Tatis Jr. father is because Fernando Tatis Sr. is the dude who hit two grand slams in the same inning. So if anything, Tatis Jr. doesn't have to apologize about anything. Just say that you're following your dad's footsteps and your dad just happened to be a savage. That's all it is. Keep doing what you're doing because you're one of the brightest stars in the game. And you're definitely, you know, along with all these other guys that we keep mentioning on all these episodes, Tatis Jr. is definitely one of the guys that we that we need to keep growing the game of baseball to have the game move forward and, and to continue to see this this emotion and, and passion. And two more just quick things that I want to say about Tatis Jr. Because I know, you know, Nick is going to say his point and we definitely want to get into a discussion in this. But one point is we need to start thinking about if there's a real difference between like Latino players and minority players being the ones targeted in these situations. I'm not saying that they necessarily are because I don't have the numbers to back up that claim. But you also have to realize that the majority of the population in the MLB is white. So there's a lesser population of Latino and minority players, even though the Latino population has been increasing year in and year out, and it continues to increase but you're already dealing with a population of players who most of the time are the types of players that we see get caught up in these situations. I mean, we've seen it with Fernando Tatis Jr. We've seen it with Tim Anderson. We saw it a few years ago, rest in peace. We saw it with, with Jose Fernandez when he had a home run out the park. Like we've seen it with all these Latino and minority players. Um, and I just, you know, it, it's something that I would pay attention to as a, as a viewer of the game. And my last point would be, um, going back to the point of people need to, you know, we need to stop worrying about people's feelings. When it comes to this unwritten rule thing and, you know, bat flips, Tim Anderson can keep flipping however many bats he wants to. It's great. People should be able to, to flip bats. They should be able to wear whatever cleats they want. They should be able to show as much personality as they want to on the field because that's that's the type of of, of game that we grow up with. When you go to Puerto Rico, when you go to the Dominican Republic, when you go to Venezuela, all these Hispanic uh, countries, this is the game that kids grow up with. They are passionate about the game that they play. I'm sorry if you play the game of baseball and you want to be boring. If that's how you want to play the game of baseball, go right ahead and play it that way. But don't get mad when someone else is showing more passion than you. And I'm also 
just to end it, like I'm also sick and tired of every time we're in these situations. Why is it that the loudest people in the room coming at these young superstars are career utility players? Like someone please explain that to me because the guys that did it, the guys that did it like these guys are out here supporting these guys. And somehow it's the guys who are never seen, never seen game time. And when they are seeing game time out here hitting 222, 30, 240, somehow they're the loudest guys in the room. So someone please explain that to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that, that, that's a pretty good uh, way to sum, sum it all up. You know what I mean? And I really don't think it has a lot to do with, with the, you know, the age difference, right? So, you know, I don't think if you grew up watching baseball in the eighties, you necessarily have a different opinion on this. You know, I think there's too much, there's too much bullshit with baseball. So for, for whatever reason, you know, at, at certain points, it was considered like the gentleman sport, which I don't buy that. I don't think it ever really was a gentleman sport. You know, people kind of categorize it. Oh, it's a game of strategy. I think that's overblown. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I look, if you play baseball, you understand that there's certain things that you do strategically and certain things you don't because they give you a certain advantage and stuff like that. And, you know, as you play and as you watch and the more familiar you are with it, Stuff like that, you know, comes out and becomes part of what you realize as the game. But, you know, when, when, when you're growing up, right, and you have a 3-0 count, people say, you know, we, we take it. But you don't take it because you don't want to get a hit. You don't take it because, I mean, you, you take that pitch because typically you don't have hitters good enough to, to you know, take advantage of the opportunity. You know what I mean? So, for instance... I was a pretty shitty hitter growing up. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. You give me a three zero count. There was as good a chance that ball is grounded to the shortstop position than it was me doing something positive with it. You know what I mean? And that's just because I was that shitty of a hitter. And granted, so look, these are major league baseball players, but I promise you that not every major league baseball player is going to go take a three zero count deep. You know what I mean? If they were, and if they had that kind of confidence in their ability, I promise you a lot more players would be taking three zero hacks. And a lot of them are. The statistics show that, Guys take 3 hacks more normally now than they ever have. And it's not a disrespectful thing. You know, and you might you might think now, you know, take the, the score into consideration. It was the, the it was late in the game, you're up seven. Well, we've seen it. You know what I mean? Teams put up points like I mean, sorry, put up runs like crazy right now. And it has a lot to do with the baseball we use. It has a lot to do with some of the rules as far as relief pitchers coming in and out right now. It also has to do with the fact that when you get that light into game, unless you have an elite bullpen, you're going to have guys that are failed starters back there just trying to get through an inning so they can keep their career going. There's a reason why there's a lot of turnover at the relief pitcher position, and those are guys that have a lower shelf life unless you're one of the really good ones. Yo, Daniel, let me quickly, because you you made a good point that I just want to throw at you and Nick, and and I just want you guys to talk about it a little bit, but here's a question. When did we lose like this, this competitive nature, like this desire to have fun and to win when it came to baseball? Because you just mentioned, for example, like the situation with the Rangers and the Padres, right? They're essentially complaining because 
they're saying you were up by a whole lot, right? I don't know about you guys, but when I was playing baseball, it didn't matter if my team was losing by 10 runs. Yo, it's the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. You want to go up there and you want to put up a rally. Like if anything, this is just like him admitting defeat and being like, oh, he should have not swung. Like it's whatever, like we were going to lose. Like, no, you should be competing until you get the last out of the game. No, look, and, and, and absolutely, you know, and I'm sure Nick will talk about the, the contractual point and the fact that, you know, whether, you know, the numbers at the end affect uh, Mr. Tatis Jr.'s arbitration, things like that. I'm sure he'll get into that stuff. So I'll just, I'll just end it real quick with, look, you're right. Look, you're getting paid to play, to play this game, right? Like, it's your job to get me out. And I've heard this, I've heard this with football with Bill Belichick and how he says he doesn't run up the score. It's not, it's not his fault that the other team can't stop him. He's not going to dumb yeah. down the way his guys play and make them ineffective just because, you know, to stroke your ego. Like, no, look. At that you're point, not, you're saying to implement a mercy rule in baseball. Right. And, and that's the thing. Like, if that's what you want to do and you want to say, hey, look, a team could throw in the white flag because they run out of relievers or whatever, whatever, fine. That, that, that is your opinion. I disagree with it to, to a certain extent, but that's still, that's still on you. But the way the game is played right now and, and all the things why numbers matter, you know, you're losing money if you're Tatis Jr. right there and you don't take a hack that swing, especially if you know you can do that and take a mopple like that. So – you know, Nick, Nick, I'll shoot it over to you, man. I know you probably have a very strong thoughts on this too. Yeah, lots of feelings and lots of thoughts put into it. And in ge- so, in general, I am a fan of the unwritten rules of baseball. I think they are the right way to govern the game in a general sense on the field and not by the owners, not by the league. So I do agree with a lot of them. What I do also need to say to all the old heads out there, and I'm one of them, is we have a DH now in both leagues. It's probably not going away. A pitcher has to throw to at least three hitters. Half the team is now relief pitchers instead of backup defenders. So the game is going to change. The rules are going to change with it. And I think Rob is huge on point with the whole cultural idea that because baseball is predominantly white, <clears throat> the white group, the you know, the guys in America, we learned that, you know, you don't swing 3-0 out of respect. And the way the 3-0 don't swing came up, it wasn't even fucking respect. It was, hey, this guy can't throw a strike. So if he gives you one by chance, take it because the next one's going to be a ball. It was just running the pitcher's pitch count up, which was notorious in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then just the idea that he can't do it two times in a row if he just went 3-0. This is not a respect the pitcher thing. This is a disrespect of the pitcher saying, I don't think you can do that twice. And I'm going to bet that I'm going to get to first base in the next two pitches. And with the change of the game where guys are swinging for the fences on pretty much everything, I'm not a big fan of if you don't like the result pitch better, because guess what? Good hitters are out seven out of 10 times. They are only on base three times. They're maybe hitting a home run 0.5 times. Like that would be a good ratio once out of every 20 at best. So the celebration factor it's not about passion, in my opinion, because the passion that the majority of the white players have is a respect for the game. It's just a different type of passion and the way that they grew up. Now, what the white community needs to realize in MLB is you're getting an influx of a completely different culture. Go watch a fucking YouTube video and watch those fans go absolutely bananas on everything that happens. The mascot races in the outfield they have down there, they're going crazy they're throwing beer on the field hitting the losing person in the face 
it's a different culture and you've got to, you have to accept it. You have to, because now you're really getting the best players in the world over here to play you. So you really can say you're a world champion instead of just an American champion and North, you know, USA champion is basically what it was for so long. I do like the unwritten rules, um, stuff like, you know, no bunting to get a, to get a hit and a no hitter. And I mean, now if it's Ricky Henderson, a guy that we know bunts, if it's Brett Butler, okay, defense, you better be prepared for that. But if it's Jose Canseco or in you know today's game, it's Tatis Jr. laying down a bunt to get a hit when you know he could lead the league in home runs, that is where I would draw the line. If it's a guy like Jared Dyson, sure, he might bunt for a hit, and you've got to be prepared for that because that is how he gets on base. But in general, yeah, you don't do that. You don't blow a no-hitter in, on a day that he is obviously better than you and take the easy way out, especially with the way the shifts are now. So the unwritten rules I think are good. Um, I think they need to be fully played out or fully removed. And for all the newer guys that say the old, you know, the old rules are, are out to me, that's a little bit scared because I don't think a lot of these pitchers want to throw at the hitters. I know the hitters don't want 95 at their head, but I don't think a lot of these pitchers really want, you know, back in the day when there would be true brawls. I mean, people would be bleeding after the fight. I don't think players today want that. And they're just going on, you know, the own, the unwritten rules to protect them. And they're not really ready for it. If they did, go that route some of the things you know that you brought up like with uh, um jace tingler his comments were absolutely out of line i don't think i don't think he supported tatis jr he said flat out he gave him the take sign and i really think that he needs to recognize what kind of team he's on and what his players are and he should have just gone up there as like he should have said the idea like if you wanted him not to hit a home run then don't let him hit it don't throw it there and for me I don't like the 3-0 rule because, one, like I said, it's actually disrespect for the pitcher. But number two, so if he did take that strike and then hits it on the next pitch, why does that make it better? It just adds one more pitch to your pitcher that you already have on a pitch count. Why wouldn't you want his ultimate result to happen on one pitch earlier and save his arm? So as far as the strategy being overblown, like I said, Daniel, I, I mean, that's crazy to me because baseball, to me, is the most strategic game because there's so many different levels to it. I'm never, I've never coached football or basketball, so I'm, I know there's a lot more to those games than I don't, that I don't know about. But you really – I mean, you're thinking so far ahead in baseball, innings on innings ahead, even days ahead to set stuff up. And with everything going on in the game right now, you know, it is the most strategic game, which is why the unwritten rules, in my opinion, do need to be pulled out because if they're not going to be there to be enforced by the umpires – and with all the stat cast data that's coming in, it's crazy. And to your point about the numbers for Tatis Jr., yeah, man, if he thinks he can hit a ball out, I mean, I don't know what every home run's worth, but at this point in the game, by the time he's going to get his contract, it might be worth a million dollars per home run if he can get enough of them. So, yeah, it's definitely going to affect his numbers when it comes time for him to get paid. Yeah, look, and I think one of the things we need to keep in mind, too, is every all of these things are also contextual lies, right? So, for instance, you brought up the bunting during a no-hitter. Well, that might be different if the game is close, right? So if Jose Canseco is up there and the game is 1-0, you can argue that he can hit a home run and tie the game, and that's probably the better use of his, of his you know, talent. But you could say, hey, maybe he sees that third base from playing so far back that he could drop one down and get the game-winning run up. So you know, it, the context does matter with, even, even with these unwritten rules. Yeah, I, mean, I agree with you, but on, on that particular case with the bunting on a no-hitter is if that's his only bunt attempt of the year, 
That's what I'm talking about. And that's why I chose the Jose Canseco because he's not, he's never bunting. He had 40, 40 speed. He could run super fast, but he never bunted. So if you get a guy that literally never bunts to throw it down, that's, that's just, in my opinion, it's like, what are you really doing? You know, you can't hit him. So you're going to do this because you're not expecting it. And a one nothing game from the strategy standpoint. Yes, I get it. But that's one of the unwritten rules. Like, I mean, if I got somebody broke up a no-hitter with me on a bunt and it's a guy that you know never bunts, he's never bunted all year, and that's his first one, yeah, I would probably throw over to first base and try to hit him right in the ribs. I for sure would because, to me, that would be disrespectful. That would not be the way. And do you really want to break up the no-hitter in that fashion? If you do, you're kind of douchey. <laughs> Look, and my argument would be that you get the pitcher in the stretch for the first time all game. But, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. It, it, can go, it can go back and forth, uh, and that's why these unwritten rules – are as kind of polarizing as, as they are because, you know, there's thoughts of, you know I mean? You know, you mentioned, yeah, like that is a crappy way to lose a no-hitter. Absolutely, you know what I mean? If you're the hitter, you're not proud of yourself. If you're the pitcher, you're definitely angry that you just missed out at, a, you know, a chance at history. But th- there's still there's still something, some, some stuff there, you know what I mean? And I that, though, if you have – if you're a first baseman out there and you're playing and a guy lays down a bunt – you get in his way and you knock him out of the baseline. You make it interference, so that's not a hit. Please, for all the first basemen out there, learn that part. Well, you know, and those are and those are some of the other like little things that we don't talk about that are I don't know if they're unwritten rules necessarily, but the little nuances, right? So like maybe running a little bit too far into the grass on a bunt. You know what I mean? Or maybe throwing your bat in the direction of the catcher a little bit after you strike out. Uh, and there's nobody on first. I mean, like those are those are like little things that kind of you know really go untalked about. But you know the rules are there. You know, kind of follows the rules. Just don't be a douchebag. But you know, I, I I don't know, man. Look, if if you guys had and and if you don't have one, that's fine. But if you had one unwritten rule that you, that was new that you think would you know fit today's game, maybe is there anything that you might have? I'll start with you, Rob. Uh, probably not. To be honest with you, I I don't I don't know if I if I would add any more of of the unwritten rules because like I I like I said I I guess I'm a little less fan of them than than Nick is. We do agree with some like the like the bunting on the no hitter. Like I said, I I think I appreciate some of the unwritten rules more in terms of just I don't even know how to describe it, but it's more of like those simple on field things. I'm not really against the showboating. I'm not really against anything like that. Um, so I, I don't know if I would add any more. I, dude, I don't know. I don't know if we need to be adding, you know, rules to begin with. I, I think we're at a point where this this game that we love so much is just continuing to evolve, and we all just gotta like buckle up and get ready to for this next wave of of superstars that's about to come. So I, I don't know if if I don't know if adding more unwritten rules is you know necessarily the direction that baseball should go all right man nick do you have anything not new ones that i would add but i would find a way to enforce the inner half of the plate for pitchers and if you get thrown out because you're on the dish anthony rizzo and you don't back up and you keep getting hit that's on you man if you're gonna leave your left elbow over the inner part of the plate oh i would sorry the unwritten rule i was take away elbow guards the only guard that a hitter needs is shin or toe because then that's after you've made contact those elbow guards that they can just stand in there, nah, man, get rid of that. But I would find a way to reinforce where pitchers can get that inner half back. And if you get hit too much, then back off the plate. If you're not going to back off the plate, you're going to get hit. And if you don't like it, 
then you can go brawl the pitcher and we'll see who wins. But how quickly both teams get warnings and guys get ejected now from stuff that happened two weeks ago, it's it's crazy. The game police itself just fine for a century plus with with that. This is my inner half, you know, uh, Bob Gibson, Pedro Martinez. They did it so well. Roger Clemens, you know, yeah, if you want that inner half, you're going to have to take it from me and I'm going to take it from you. And if you want to come fight about it, let's do it. That's that's the mentality I think is the right one to have. And they'll please themselves on that. So I would find a way to enforce that and no uh, no elbow protection. Hashtag fire Rob Manfred. No, nah, but so one one unwritten rule that isn't necessarily for the players, but that I would want for the umpires in the future. So I know we've talked a lot about uh, the robotic strike zone and things like that. I would want a some kind of rule in place that if the pitcher misses the spot, let's say like the catcher set up outside and he misses and the pitcher misses inside by 17 inches, but it hits the K zone. I don't think the pitcher deserves a strike personally. You know what I mean? Cause he didn't execute. He pretty much landed in the strike zone by luck. There's not, there's not a lot there. And you know, that's controversial. That's all I'm sure. But so if I, the catcher, if the catcher goes outside three inches off the plate and he hits it without the catcher's glove moving, should he get that because he executed? Wait, what do you mean? So I I, get, I totally get your point because that was the majority of my strikes was missing the spot. So I know what you're talking about. But let's just say a pitcher, a catcher sets up, it's 0-2, catcher sets off three or four inches outside, pitcher throws right there, dots it, doesn't doesn't move the glove at all. It's right where it was supposed to be. He perfectly executed his pitch. Should he get that called strike three, three inches outside? Absolutely not because here's the thing. That's playing within the game. I'm, I'm a big believer that just because you're – Pitching so you're not going to reward him for executing, but you're going to you're going to uh, demote him for executing. You're going to hurt him for not executing. His reward for executing that pitch is the opening is the inside half opening up, in my opinion. But it yeah. doesn't open up. He's going outside. He closed the inside half. It opens up against the hitter, right? So if you if you're giving if not you, today's game. I'm just saying there's that's what I mean. I love it. There's a lot of nuance to it. You know what I mean? I personally, I think pitchers already get rewarded for bad pitching with the shift. But that's you a, such a bad hair. You hate pitchers. Nice. I like it. <laughs> I love no, I love I love good pitchers. That's the thing. So I think like there's, there's an art to having a guy roll over with soft contact. Like there, there's just an art to that, right? There's just, like I think if a hitter hits a 99 mile power like piss missile to the right side, yo, maybe you deserve that single. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know. That's that, that's that's my whole thing. I, I you know there, there's just so much stuff. Like another, another rule I would have eventually is I would make it so you can only have certain amount of players on the side of the field. So like let's say you're a shortstop, you can get as close as possible to to you know the right side, but you can't get past second base. I think that might bring a little bit more athleticism into the game, which I think as as far as defensively, the game has lacked some of that action just because the shifts are so prevalent right now that. You can literally put Pablo Sandoval at third base, and it really won't matter because shortstop is going to cover enough ground because second baseman's playing right on top of second base, if not to left of that. But that's that's just uh, too much craziness for us to dissect right now. But hey, let's get let's get to our week in review because you know MLB still going. That means we have standing updates that are going to change throughout the season, and we're going to keep you guys updated. Before we get to that, though, I do want to bring you some of our uh, official, unofficial sponsors. Uh, the first one we want to talk about is My Brand Esquire. So, My Brand Esquire is a law firm 
you know, what they do is they help people create and protect their businesses so that the owners have peace of mind while they're going through that process. And, you know, what they, you know, to, to kind of split that up a little bit more, they do things like they help you with your LLC filings, they help you build your corporation, they help you with trademark matters, they help you make sure that everything in your business is up to legal snuff. So check out My Brand Esquire, the website's mybrandesq.com. Uh, other th- other places we all want to check out, you know what I mean? Uh, a Dreamer's Ambition, that's ran by our own Sean Lowry. He helps people kind of just realize what they want to do. They sell, they sell clothes, but the bigger part of that is it's kind of a mentorship program and he helps a lot of high school students kind of just keep going and, and keep on that straight path. So let's get to our standing, man. The American League East Yankees are in first place for about another day because Tampa Bay is just about to beat them again right now. Uh, Baltimore is in third place. Toronto followed by Boston, which is a terrible team. By the way, Christian Vasquez is a douche. Uh, in the AL Central, you have Minnesota leading, followed by Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, and Kansas City last. That's kind of a, a little bit closer than than what you would think with only six games separating them. In the West, you have Oakland leading it. Houston is in second place after they've kind of had a small resurgence the last week. Texas, who gets grand slammed on nightly, it feels like, is in third. Angels in fourth. Seattle way back there in last place. In the National League, you have Atlanta leading the East. One game back, one really awkward game back because they just don't have the amount of games played, is Miami, Philadelphia, the Mets, and Washington. They're all within three games of each other, so it's a really tight race there. In the NL Central, we have Chicago leading it, which, again, makes Rob very happy if we're talking about past Rob. Uh, Milwaukee is somehow in second place. But they're tied with St. Louis, who's played a lot less games. They're, they're both four and a half games back, if we're talking technical numbers. Cincinnati's in fourth. Pittsburgh's in fifth. In the NL West, you have the Dodgers leading it. Not surprised there. Colorado has kind of slowed down a little bit. They're now four games back. Arizona has picked it up. They're in third. San Diego, they're five games back, but they've been play, playing really good baseball as of late. And San Francisco, who is in last place, but it feels like they win more games than they actually have. But they're nine games back to the Dodgers, so that means nothing. Yo, let's go to our players of the week, man. And uh, Rob, we'll start with you, man. Who's going to be your player of the week? Yeah, so so for this, I'm going to focus on on two dudes. I'm just going to group them together. We were just talking about... You know, like good. You 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 said you enjoyed really good pitchers. So I think that's what we've been seeing from the Minnesota Twins um, with Kenta Maeda and Randy Dobnak. I think both of them have been huge for Minnesota this season, and that's one of the things that I usually look at Minnesota and feel really bad about is their pitching. I don't think their pitching is as good as many other others contenders, and I think that can uh, pretty much get exposed come playoff time. But you know, as of now, Maeda he's three and zero on the year. He's just he was just almost he just almost threw a no a no-no last night I believe um he took it into the ninth inning he has a 2.27 ERA he's leading the the league with a 0.63 whip and yeah he's definitely one of the main dudes helping Minnesota stay atop the the AL Central and Randy in his own right has a 0.87 whip with a 1.42 ERA and opponents are only hitting 178 against him he's four and one so I mean those two dudes are seven and one for for the twins this year and definitely big if they're if they're looking to you know make the postseason, 
Yeah, man, gotta love it. By the way, just just a little clear up. We had to name this segment Players of the Week, not named for Nail Tatis Jr. Because if not, it was pretty obvious. Yeah, we yeah, were yeah. Going there. So, yeah. So just anyone freaking out that I didn't say Tatis Jr. Like, yeah, he's clearly the Player of the Week, but you know. Right. Yeah. There's there's no if and or buts about it. Yo, Nick, what, what about you, man? Who's your Player of the Week? Yeah. So for me in the AL, I've got Brandon Lowe, who went off this week with a 442 or sorry 440 batting average. And a 1,000 slugging, not an OPS of 1,000, but a slugging of 1,000. So he's just had a really good week down there in Tampa Bay, and that's why they've come back. They lost five in a row early in the year, and to only be a half back, half game back at the Yankees after tonight, uh, I'm thinking he's definitely a spark plug in there that's trying to get that engine going. And in the National League, I'm going to go with my guy, Juan Soto, the 21-year-old who balled out with a 462 batting average and a 1.077 slugging. So he decided to up Brandon Lowe's numbers both this week. I love me some Juan Soto. To me, this is this would be my pick for face of the, of the MLB along with Francisco Lindor because he just has so much fun out there. It's just when Rob was talking about passion, I think that's where Juan Soto really comes in is his passion for the game. There's a difference to me. Like Tim Anderson, I don't like his bad flips because I feel like he's celebrating for his team and when you do it at the plate in front of the pitcher, that's where it becomes showing them up. But Juan Soto, I think, genuinely, like, he celebrates the success that he's having, and he does it in a way, in my opinion, that's just him absorbing it. And then when he gets back in the dugout, he does his dance with his team. That's the difference to me of showing up a pitcher, kind of one of those unwritten rules, is where you do it and how you do it. To me, Juan Soto does it right. To me, Ricky Henderson did it right. Ricky Henderson talked to himself during the at-bat, before the at-bat, after he hit the home run and when you watch him pop his collar, he's looking down as he's running around the bases. There's literally nothing he's trying to do to show up anybody else. He's literally just building himself up. And I get that feeling from Juan Soto. So he's my guy. So I'm going with him player of the week. All right, man. I love it, man. Like, so for, for me, I'm going to go with one of the underrated players right now in the MLB, just because he plays in Baltimore. And let's be honest, unless you're from Baltimore or just really into baseball, you are not following the Orioles because you expect very little from them this year. So my player of the week is going to be Anthony Santander. He's had a, he had a crazy week. He had six home runs. Pretty hard to hit six home runs in seven days. If you, if you don't believe me, try that on the show. Uh, he, hit, he hit 382, 417 on base. His slugging was 1,000, and his OPS – his OPS was actually uh, 1446, so he had a great week. And just to throw it in there, because you did an NL once, I'm going to do an NL one too, man. Mookie Betts, his big day was pretty much that three-home run day he had last week. Helped me, helped my fantasy team out, so shout-out to you, Mookie. Way to, way to keep me going strong. Undefeated so far, even though I do have a tie. But that's that's a conversation for another time. But, yeah, man, we love it. We love it. Was there anything this week that you guys want to talk about that we missed? Nah, Fernando Tatis is just really great at baseball. Yeah, the Rays went back to back to back to back on Sunday, which I I did not – I believe that's the seventh time in MLB history that a team has gone four in a row back to back. Or Sorry, it was the White Sox that did it. The White Sox did it. So that was pretty cool to listen to on the radio. There you go. And we usually pick uh, Rookie of the Weeks, but I think for the rest of the show, like the rest of the show this year, it's going to be Lewis Robert. Don't even ask us because that's our answer. It's Lewis Robert. It's obvious. Just watch him, and you'll know why. He's absolutely killing it so far this year. So, so we have we absolutely love it. And by the way, if you guys want to have a fun game with your friends, play this episode again 
And take a shot anytime we mention Fernando Tatis Jr. Or we mention No, no, no. That, that's that's overdosing on alcohol. Let's not do that. Yeah. Let's not do that, folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's not like, you know, do Fernando Tati Jr., Fernando Tati Jr., Fernando Tati Jr., Fernando Tati Jr. And well, Fernando Tati Jr. Jr. So there's a double shot. There so you go. guys are, so this was just a nice yeah, Fernando, Yo, Fernando Fernando Tatis Tatis Jr. 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 Jr., yeah. Oh, man. This was just a nice family-friendly game that you guys made. Uh, nah, those are the rules, man. You set the hey, rules. Hey, you they set were the already rules. passed out before they got to this point of the episode if they're playing that game. So we're well, good. Well, absolutely. We yeah. yeah, no, they're, they, they are dead by this point if that's what they're, what they're doing. But, yo, yeah, guys, look. Thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to have a special episode for you, man. We have a correspondent all the way from Colombia who they do they do interviews and they've had experience with some of the Colombian players in the MLB. So we're really excited for that. It's going to be a great listen. We'll catch you guys next time. And, you know, as always, if you want to find us, find us on SAW on Facebook. You can find us on SAW on Twitter or Rob will retweet anything that you tweet at us. I can't promise that because it's right. Rob's life and he does whatever the hell he yeah, wants. Fa- facts, but, but like maybe. There you go. If you want to go old school, send Nick a postcard at SAW address and he will write you a postcard. <laughs> you get on my stone tablet. I'll be flying within three days. He will caveman you a drawing of yeah, what he wants to call on you. his beeper. Yes. Yes. Find us on Instagram too. We have pictures. Not of us because we're all kind of ugly, but we have pictures of sports. You know what I mean? Uh, make sure you listen to our family of podcasts. We have Cover Zero. They do football. We have the Reformed Hooligans covering soccer. We have Full Cold Press. Basketball, Osa and Abe is our all-inclusive show where we kind of talk about everything. And we also have our, uh, yeah, we'll have a wrestling show. I forgot the name of it right ringside, now. But ringside Mayhem. Ringside Mayhem. Ringside Mayhem. There we go. I'm not, look, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I have no idea. But hey, look, catch us, find us, and we'll talk to you guys next week, right? Have a good time. Watch Fernando Tatis Jr. Our goal is to make him a household name by the end of this year. Talk to you guys oh, like the, a- yeah, the media is doing that already. Oh, they better.